Wormhole Manifest, Episode 004, Stardate 1001000011000, Part D. Captain Wormhole's Log Supplemental. Last week, we tried to record an episode with tonight's special guest, and at about 34.6 minutes into it, I realized that it wasn't even recording. I've sent myself to the brig for misconduct and whipped myself with a Ferengi laser lasso. But tonight, we're going to try again and hope for the best. Our guest tonight is none other than Mario Mora, the artisan rogue. He's an excellent graphic artist, retro toy collector, and all-around amazing individual. He's even published his own comic books. Mario, your name has been added to the manifest, for real this time. Are you <laughs> That's ready? Awesome. <laughs> Are yes. you ready to venture deep into the cosmos of radical discussion via the wormhole of mystical redundancy? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Make it so. <laughs> Make it <Yes>. so. <laughs> All right. So we 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 recorded <sighs> or we we started we thought we were recording last time um mm. on, on Thursday, a couple nights ago. And uh, yeah. we we got like it was it was an awesome discussion. First, I mean wow. that was just like it was great. And like when it when I found out it wasn't recording, I was like so bummed for like <laughs> two days. I'm like, man, that was like really going to be in like an epic episode, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we talked about everything. We were like talking about like Ghostbusters and um, right. like how I got my name wormhole and stuff like, you know, and like it, it just was it was really great. Like you had some great feedback and um, I guess we're going to like journey on from there. You know, we don't we don't look back you know we, we, yeah. we, we look back and appreciate the past for what it was but we we move on you know yeah, like absolutely we can't we can't stay there and and focus on it and just uh wallow in the <laughs> the, <laughs> the lost recordings <laughs> i think i think everybody that creates any kind of media today has gone through that yeah yeah you know, I just, true. there's nothing you can do about it um I have a buddy that he runs around also at shows and stuff and he'll do quick little interviews. And this, this has been a few years when those little personal recorders were first out and, um, and they had gone completely digital. He had no cassette, right? Cause mm. he had an older cassette one. So he'd see the tape, yeah. right? Yeah. He was so nervous. He had met like a couple of voice actors and some people and the entire time he kept pushing the red button you know, expecting it to be recording. And it wasn't until the second day that he realized he'd never loaded the batteries. Oh. And he never bothered to look. He didn't, he was just in a hurry trying to get to everyone, trying to get to the panels, trying to get snippets. And he's like, it was literally the most insane thing I've ever done. I never bothered to look to see that any light came on, that anything was working. Oh man. And I, and I, I could only commiserate that level of anxiety. <laughs> I've known that. Yeah. Yeah. That gut crushing moment when you're like, <laughs> damn it. But the sky is falling. You know, you're oh, God. Like, you're like, why? <laughs> I know. Yeah. You just want to scream to the heavens at that point. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there. So yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, not a big deal. You're like Charlton Heston at the end of Planet of the Apes and you're out on the beach. <laughs> you blew it up. <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. I, oh, I know man. like, I, and I've even heard people too, like I, I've said this often, like there'll be times, I don't, I don't know if you've ever gone through this before or not, where maybe you've had a discussion with somebody in your life and 
you just so much wish that there had been something recording that moment. Oh, yeah. Because a conversation is maybe 15 to 30 minutes or however long it is of just wonderful joy, spontaneity. Yeah. And you go, God, I just, but, but it's to your point, the beauty of the fleeting moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You have the memory of it. And, and that's like, you know, the, I don't know. You just, and not just the, the, the memory of the, the words said, but the, the memory of the emotions, the things that you were feeling while oh, it yeah. was happening. Yeah. And, and you're like, you wish there was some way that you could have like savored that or recorded it too. But, but even if you did, even if you were able to record that, you would only hear back the words, yeah. you know, and yeah. it, it, you, it'd be hard to replicate the, the, the true, you know, the feeling of that moment, you know? Oh, Absolutely. And, you know, like we, we have like movies and stuff we watch and like we, we loved them the first time we watched them, you know, and we, it had brought this feeling and emotion and it, it may spark some of that when we rewatch it, like five years later, you know, but it's never the same as that original moment, you know? And I guess it's kind of like, it's kind of like those people that, uh, you hear the stories of chasing the dragon, you know, like people oh, that, yeah. do, that yeah. do heroin and it's such yeah. a great feeling or whatever. And so mm-hmm. they try to, and that's <clears> what gets them hooked, you know, because they want to experience that again, but you yeah. can't because of the way the body chemistry is made up and the way that yep. it affects like your brains, you know, the, the brain chemistry and everything. It's like, you can't replicate that initial feeling, you know, Correct. so they're stuck just trying to loop back in and, re-experience i guess you know and yeah you're absolutely right you know and it's weird i didn't even make the connection in my head till right now i mean although it's fairly obvious you know you always hear the old saying of you know first impressions are everything yeah and there is that there is a certain addictive quality there's something connotative about that that where you have you know the first time you encounter somebody or you um have a moment with somebody that first impression that first blushing moment is so precious because um, it's, I think that's something that I struggled with even um, the limited time that I did acting and things like that, because to get that same emotive concept back out there to bring that same element of spontaneity and trying to reinvent it is hard. Yeah. You know, um, that's why I have mad respect for the big pro guys that do voice acting. Cause you know, they, they give you a little slip of paper. You're in the booth. Yeah. You got to go zero to 60 and make, make somebody believe it. You know, that's true. I hadn't really thought about that. Like it's, I, I've, I've watched like the behind the scene videos, like of, of yeah. voice actors doing the things in the studio. And it's like, you know, they're, like you said, they're reading off a piece of paper and like, they're mm-hmm. projecting what the words say, but they're putting emotion and stuff behind it, you know? And it's like, yeah. how do you do that? Like, how do you oh, like just create this character that you're seeing on the screen, you know, yeah. you're visually seeing it, but the voice is giving it life, you know, yeah. like, and, and the animators give it life by the motion, but like the voice is really like, you know, that draws you into the character itself. You're like, it, it makes does. it believable, you know, it does. That was, um, I, I had, um, I've had conversations with a few voice actors. Um, I, when I was at Hallmark, I did voice acting for about two years for them. And there was a similar thing. You go into this, small sweaty little booth hmm. and that that was the very first time i ever went into one it was this deadening quality because you you can't you can't take jangly nothing 
you know? Oh, yeah. Um, because the microphone, I was recording on a microphone that I was told was a $30,000 microphone. You know, wow. a shotgun mic that picked up. I, if I, my, if my mustache rush rustled, it picked up. <laughs> it, it was so, I was like, good God. And there was one point they actually, um, the sound engineer was like, can you stop rubbing your eye? Cause we're picking that up. Oh man. And it really was, I would do this and it could act, you could hear when I, when I bent in, you could hear the, the viscosity on my eyelid. It was, I was like, no, they played it back. <laughs> I'd never heard my eye in stereo before. Oh, wow. It was horrifying. Squish. It was. It was <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> yeah, the it was human experience. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It was just like, that's what I sound like. Oh God. I'm squishy. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> if you could like record everything in life, you know, from like, just a, you know, with one of those microphones and just hear the you things, know. you know, like, you know, somebody walking across, like, you know, down a hallway with, like, corduroy pants, you know. It's just like, <laughs> what the hell is that noise? You know? I remember, you know what, There's I, I met a Foley guy that did sound recording one time years and years ago. And he said the most fun he ever had was recording somebody in Jinkos. Remember those pants? Yeah. The, the, the like JNCOs or like yeah, the- <laughs> and because when they'd walk, it it was literally that like corduroy pant like you know yeah. thing, the, the 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 pant legs are massive like homeless yeah. people could live underneath them <laughs> and and they're just like going together and he said it was interesting because that was the sound of folded clothing when he hmm. when he because he needed a sound for a, a little radio program they were doing and they were like well what does folding clothing sound like and he's like he tried everything like folding towels. But it's just soft. Yeah. And there was something about the fabric and pant legs and a person walking in it. So he clipped a microphone to them. But you had to be careful because if it hit the microphone, you're just getting that that yeah. face hit. Yeah. But I found that stuff fascinating. I, I really fell in love with Foley recording for a while because, like, you can, we I don't think we ever take, as humans, we take so much for granted that we hear. And I think, yeah. our, I, I, think I remember reading somewhere that our mind does allocate a certain amount like like i can hear you you can hear me but i'm tuning out the little cat water fountain in the background Mm. you know things like that um yeah it's kind of like that like like white noise thing like where you know and there's like binaural beats and and you know those kinds of things that like Mm -hmm. can you know if you listen with headphones they can like stimulate like parts of the brain almost into like a almost into like a psychedelic experience, you know, because it's the way it's, you know, so it's, yeah, it's weird. Like, uh, if you just go outside and and sit and it's like silent out and and just listen to, to nature, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and like try to keep yourself quiet and like, just breathe normally and just listen. Like it's, it's crazy. There's like a million different sounds out there that you (laughs) just, you know, and I did that like a, a couple of weeks ago. I was like sitting out there and I was like, just listening. And I'm like, this is, you know, like if that's all you heard and if it was amplified, you know, like turned up to 11, like you would go crazy because yeah. it's just so much to take in, you know, yeah. like, man, it's just and and these senses that we have and the way that our brain processes all these things and like the stimuli and the 
all that, you know, it's just, it's crazy how like our subconscious kind of like says, no, you're going to focus on this now, you know, Absolutely. this, yeah. this is what you're focused on and, and don't pay attention to the rest, you know, like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Like it, I, I've always like, you know, that, and it, it, I, I love that you brought up the binaural beats and that sort of thing. Um, my therapist was telling me what, cause I had a lot of times where I was struggling with, um, you know, with, with density layers of anxiety. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I, I can't, like, I have a real hard time. I, I am completely incapable of multitasking that, mm-hmm. that, that word is nothing I can define for myself. And, um, the, for some of the time that I had been going through therapy, um, the therapist I had was, was thankfully a very good one. Um, cause a good therapist is hard to find yeah. and he really worked oh, with I know me a lot of this, <laughs> right? Okay. So, and, um, and it's good you're talking about this because like one of the, you know, I, I mentioned before, like the, one of my goals with this show is mental health and like, yeah. you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because like, you know, you're, you're an artist and, mm-hmm. and you do all these things. And, and like one of the things that I did when I was younger and before I even realized that I had a lot of like, like mental illness or like in, any kind of issues, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I did all these different things to like escape mm-hmm the reality of my situations I was in or the depression I was feeling or the emotions that were going on or the anxiety I was feeling like, you know, and I did all these things, but like, you're right. Like a therapist, you know, like I, I am fully adamant on people doing therapy if they need it, you know, like it's, it's definitely a good thing, but you do have to find the right one for you. Um, Yes. Absolutely. So like, is, is your, you know, your experience go on with what you were saying about, finding the therapist, but like as an artist, you know, like I wanted to kind of get into that a little bit about that escape kind of thing. Maybe it's not an escape, but it's like a redirection. Like I know with me Mm -hmm. and what you said about multitasking, like I'm like ADHD. So like Mm -hmm. it's, I get hyper-focused on one thing. Like Mm -hmm. when I'm doing that one thing, I'm Mm hyper-focused and everything else is like, I can't be watching TV watching a show that I'm into and like even look at my phone for a second because the phone will take my attention away and I feel bad because I missed what was going on on the TV. Like even if I missed like two or three sentences of what the character said, I'm like, ah, what do I, you know, like I got to go back, you know, like what did they say? What's going on? I'm missing these key elements of what was going on. So I can't, I have to hyper-focus on like one thing or another, you know, or take a break from one thing. But like, if I'm looking, if I'm sitting on the couch, looking at my phone, mm-hmm. I don't like just, you know, I can sit in silence, but I, I like to have something else going on at the same time, like in yeah. the background, you know, for yeah. that sound to kind of drown out. But like for you, like about the, the therapist and stuff and like all that go on with that. Sure. Like, well, um, so with, he was the first one to tell me about binaural beats and things because I was having problems focusing on things. And I, I still am. I mean. One of the things I, I had a misdirection in my mind that once you get into therapy, like you go maybe six weeks, a couple months and you're done. It's not the case. And it's, it became even more quizzical for me because, you know, I had struggled and I didn't even realize this. Like I've, I've, I've had a multitude of things that I've had to overcome. Um, depression was the first actual mainstay. It was the first real challenge to overcome. And I'm still working toward it. But I I know I've made a lot of movement forward in good ways because um in being creative, like 
I at least have the outlet, whether it's poetry, whether it's um, visual, whether it's even making videos or, or whatever it is I'm doing. There's, yeah. there's an outlier for me to be able to, to persevere and put things into. Now, that can also be kind of a weird thing because like, like, like currently I'm, the, the fantasy world I'm working on right now is called the world of Ardor. And it, and it focuses on a young lady who's an artist and kind of this fan, this fantastic adventure she goes on. But all of the creatures that are in there, um, there's two main types. There's um, the Bakur and then the Salambish. The Salambish are the shadowy creatures that look a little more horrific, a little bit more fear of the dark kind of an aspect. Um, the Bakur are sort of a takeoff on... It, they're the antithesis of what Christian angels are supposed to be. Mm. So they're beatific in their look, but they are cold and calculating and at the root, very evil. But it's it was a concept of, you know, the worst mask that anyone can wear is virtue. And because they have this porcelain-like look, people would normally, historically, they had inter interacted with humans of the past. And so that's that was my theory on how Christendom was born. We took it the wrong way. We looked at these things and we we're like, Oh my God, it's gorgeous. It must be good. The shadowy creatures are actually the good ones. And, but both of those, those two archetypes that I had created were elements of my depression. It was a way for me to deal with things because, um, growing up, I, and see, this is one of the weird things. You probably can relate to this when you're going through therapy there's a lot of surface tension that you deal with, you know, you, that affects your everyday life. Yeah. And those are the first things you kind of, you're like run right at them. It's like being in football camp, which I don't know what that's like, but it's like, <laughs> I'm <either>. surmising. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to use a lot of sports talk having never played sports. And, um, so you run at it and you try and tackle it or, or whatever you do. And, and when you do that, you start to peel back things and you go, Oh, look at what's underneath this. Yeah. And you start finding other things underneath there. And that was the same sort of thing because um, I I was able to, to figure out that even though I was creative all my life in high school was where I really started taking it seriously. Like, okay, maybe I want to do something with this. But I also struggled because this and this was a really weird time. Um, you know, we're talking 90s, early, early 90s for me. Hmm. And I remember that. I would struggle a lot socially. I didn't have a real good way of interacting with people. And even my the, the few friends I had were very accepting, but I had a hell of a time making eye contact with people. I had no real social skills. Um, and I, I struggled with a lot of that. Well, my I have my theater teacher, uh, Mrs. Mazza, to thank for this. She pulled me aside one day after class and was she's like, I think you're on the spectrum. And I, that was the very first time I'd ever heard that. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't understand what you mean. She said, well, you don't, you know, she was like, and she explained patiently, you don't look at people. There's certain things. And she was like, I feel, I think you have some discomfort in this and this could lead to some problems down the line. She's like, I'm not a therapist. I don't know much about this, but you might be able to figure something else out by doing some stuff. So by doing stuff like improv and theater, she helped me kind of devote a portion of my of my exterior thinking into a much more extroverted manifest hmm. and it allowed me to be able to talk to people 
and even do stuff like this. Yeah. Because, and it's weird. I've learned how to do this stuff, but I am painfully introverted. Yeah. You know, and people are, when people meet me at shows or, or something like that, they're like, Oh, you know, you're, you're just out and loud and proud. And I'm like, no, not, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. For every, for every day of this, it takes a week to recover. Yeah. You know? No, um, I, I definitely can relate to that. Like that whole story, like that, <clears throat> that reminds me of like, you know, some of the, the things that I kind of tackled early, early on, uh, you know, at the, I was written, I guess I was like kind of experiencing similar things, like, um, as far as like the, the eye contact and like these different social mannerisms that people, mm-hmm. you know, call typical or normal, you know, mm-hmm. like I was not that, like I, I would talk to someone and while I was talking to them, I wouldn't look at them. Like I would kind of look at them while I'm talking to them to see what their reaction is. But yeah. like when they talk to me, like I would kind of look away because that would, I would like focus on just something wherever so that I could mm-hmm. listen better. You know, yep. it's, it's kind of like that thing where you're like, you know, you're pulling up to a stop sign and there's multiple cars, but you got to turn the radio down so you can figure out what's <laughs> going on. You know, yeah. like, yeah. you know, there's just those little instances where you're like, I can't do one thing and do all this other stuff at the same time. Like I got to take it all in incrementally like these, you know, one step at a time and any other little weird thing might like feel like it's intruding on your thoughts. You know, you're Mm -hmm. like, I got to like cancel this out so I can focus on this, you know? And, uh, but like, that's interesting that you said like uh, that she mentioned about being on the spectrum because I didn't hear about, any of that kind of stuff like growing up or, you know, even like I, I did a bunch of crazy stuff, like join the military, you know, like, like you said, I didn't, uh, I, I myself had, I had no interest in sports or, you know, any of that stuff. Like <clears throat> I did a lot of like introverted stuff. Like I played video games, you know, all day. Mm-hmm. And like I read books and I read comics and, you know, my socializing was, uh, you know, when I started skateboarding, and I was mm-hmm. like meeting up with friends to skateboard, but then I would like, we're just doing stuff together, like outside. And then I would go home and like retreat into my little cave of yeah. a room and, and be creative in that way to kind of outlet some of the anxiety that I felt that day by being out in public, you know, like, and just, yeah. you know, like kind of decompress yeah. and, uh, and all that. But like, as, um, as a parent of, uh, a child that's on the spectrum. Um, I've, I've been looking into, a, you know, over the past 15 years, looking into a lot of different things. And I'm like, you know, that it, it makes a lot of sense that, that I may have also been on the spectrum, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, and when I first started having a lot of mental health problems after my father died, um, I started getting, I started going into therapy and, when I was talking to the, the, the psychiatrist, he was like kind of giving me these, like, not really like tests, but like asking me different questions like that. Oh yeah. On like a sheet to kind of get like an idea of like what he could diagnose, you know, and, and everything that he asked me. And then apparently the answers I gave him, gave him the, you know, he, he just knew somehow, like he was like, 
from his whatever, however many years of expertise in this in and treating people like he was like, okay, I, I'm, I believe you're ADHD and you're OCD. Um, and, um, you may be bipolar, <laughs> you know, like wow. just all this different stuff. And I'm like, wow. And, and that was kind of like jarring in a way. Cause I'd like, I'm like, you know, but he's like, but the more he talked to me, the more it kind of made sense because as I became an adult, like from like age 17 or so, I started drinking a lot. Oh, wow. You know? So, and, and that helped me get, it, it made me more social. Like, yeah, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't have to, you know, be the same person I was before that couldn't handle social situations. Like oh, yeah. I, I, I yeah. became like way more open and I was like, you know, a fun guy partying, you know, like with friends and stuff, you know, and like, mm-hmm. I just, it made me feel good even though a lot of times I felt bad the next day or whatever, you know, I was like, it's a small price to pay, you know, but if I would have been treated back then, they would have discovered all these, these different issues. But it wasn't until I quit drinking about five years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, I drink a little bit now, but nowhere near the amount I used to. Mm -hmm. Um, Once I, once I stopped drinking, because I was like, I, I got put on a bunch of medications Mm-hmm. And they say, you can't drink with this stuff because it will right. mess you up. Oh, yeah. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll kind of, I'll just stop drinking, you mm-hmm. know? And so it took me a while to kind of just totally quit. Um, but once I stopped, it, it seemed to like uncover a lot more um, like past trauma and things oh, yeah. like that. Like, yeah. like, because I was starting to think how I did a long time ago as a young uh, you know, like a middle schooler and, and, and stuff like, and I was like, you know, I don't like this, you know, like, because with mm-hmm. the drinking, I could put a mask on everything and put a bandaid on it or, you know, mm-hmm. use it as a crutch to not think about the stuff that was actually bothering me. Yeah. And, and so I did that for so long that it just kind of compounded all the things that happened since I started drinking up to the point where I stopped. So right. I was like, you know, even in the military, you know, like the stuff that happened that I, you know, went through and witnessed there, I just was able to, you know, like, cause every night when I got done working a shift while I was in the military, I went back to my room or apartment and I just got wasted, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how I dealt with things. I was like, man, that, that fucker that it gives me a bunch of shit at work, you know, like that Sergeant, you know, like he's such a piece of shit and I hate him, you know, like yeah. I, I, I would just like, instead of going off on somebody at work and getting in trouble, I would mask it by going home and just drinking all night and mm-hmm. then get up and do the same thing the next day. But when I got to work the next day, I may, may have felt like crap, but I was able to handle the day like, and not get in trouble. Like I just stayed silent and just did my work. And, you know, I don't even know how I functioned, honestly. Yeah. Like I just, I just did somehow, you know, and I guess that's the thing about being an alcoholic is you, you just deal with things like you, you're able to function, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you can function highly and almost better than if you were like on medications or something like you, you're yes. just, you're covering everything up. So you don't have to deal with things, you know, and, and that's not any, that's not a long-term solution, you know? No. Because, <laughs> so. Well, and even to that point, like I, I did, you know, um, private sector security for, bars for years so you know you end up seeing all kinds of stuff play out like that yeah um and i there's one anecdote i can 
share with you. There was a guy, um, I remember one night, this, this was here in Kansas City at Power and Light. I was doing the front door and, you know, you always get, get all kinds. It'll come out to bars. And yes. Shark Bar was always considered kind of a, a fun bar to work at for people, unless you were security or staff. But if, um, but this group of guys came out and I'm talking like the bro master bros that are like, you know, like <laughs> big dudes and yeah. they got like the affliction shirts on that are medium sized, but they're like <laughs> really supposed to be in a fucking three XL. And <laughs> this guy <clears throat> out like there, there was four of them that I saw. And then a head behind them. And why, why I say that is because the, the alpha male or what I assumed was the alpha male was in the back. And so the others come in the front and it was funny because it was almost like a stair step effect of these guys. The first one was one of those little bigs, you know, like, <laughs> like five yeah. foot two, but like, ah, like no neck, like the, the trap <laughs> starts at the bottom of the ears and <laughs> melds down into the sh- into the shoulders and, you know, just walks like this, you know, and I was like, chill, you're going to have a heart attack, you know, <laughs> but the other two dudes were normal. And then this other guy came by and I don't know why, but. When there are these, when, and this isn't for all of them. I, I know plenty of guys that are professional weightlifters and fitness guys that are really cool people. Yeah. But the majority of them are these hype, in my experience, hyper insecure, very odd people. And uh, they come by, but they almost always want to make good with the security guys, right? I don't know why. It's <laughs> like, you know, I, whatever. Right. So they're just like, yeah, dude, oh, you're so awesome doing security. They go inside about maybe an hour or so goes by and the biggest of them, we're just going to call him alpha male. He <laughs> comes back up to the front. He's a little bit inebriated at this point. And he's like, just wanting to stand next to me. He just has his arms folded. He was like, and I was like, have you ever done security? He goes, no, no. I kind of want to just stand here with you for a while. I was like, okay. We, so we chat for a while and just about the weather and, and women walking by that sort of thing. But otherwise he's harmless goes back in the night goes on as the night goes on people get more and more drunk yeah comes back out he's a little more tipsy a little more huggy and i just and i want to put it into context that i only come up to this man's nipple okay he's a large man now i'm i'm 510 and so you can imagine how much more man was above (laughs) and so he comes back out he's just he's super loud now he's very huggy. He's like, all right, man, I'm going to get you a drink. I'm like, I can't, I can't drink on the job. No, dude, it's on me, bro. It's on me, bro. I'm like, no, bro, I, I can't drink. And he's like, okay, 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 cool. Well, it's cool. You know what? You're a good man. You're a good man because you won't drink on the job. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So he goes in. <laughs> finally, and last third, third, uh, third and last time he comes out, this time he comes out, eyes are watery and super sweaty. Um, Shirts untucked. He's lost a shoe <laughs> and he comes out. He stands next to me and I'm like, what's going on? And I notice his lip is quivering. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, oh, this is going to be weird. And without warning, I thought he was like mad, but he grabs me and he gives me this hug and my face careens up into his armpit. And it's just, it's like wet clay on the side of my face as I'm like, just, just, it's like the, the slickest, it's the closest I would ever imagine wrestling a walrus would be like, as I just slid up into this pocket underneath this bicep, his arm was big enough. I will never forget this, that he had a tattoo of a skull on it only being this close though. I realized, 
This skull is about the same size as mine. He, he had a rather large bicep. <laughs> wow. But I'm like, but he was talking and he was like, I really envy you, man, because you're just doing you. You're just being you. And I'm like, do tell. And he's like, yeah. I mean, like, I want to show you something. And so he he pulls up this other sleeve. And as he's pulling it up, it's like a sleeve full of beautiful, gorgeous tattoos, right? And he's like, do you know, do you know what this is? I was like, tattoos? He's like, peer pressure, peer pressure. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And in my head, two things, two different th- th- lines of thought are going. One, what do you mean peer pressure? Two, who peer pressured you? <laughs> yeah. But he went on to tell me that he didn't mind tattoos, but he only got the sleeve because the other three guys got sleeves. Oh man, dude. After that, it was 15 minutes. By the time it was done, he talked about how his father wouldn't speak to him anymore. Cause he had tattoos, how, you know, he wasn't totally sure, but he kind of found some guys hot. Thankfully not me. And like, just, you know, all this other stuff, like just, I'm like, where is this? Co- Why are you talking to me? You know? <laughs> And it, it was so it was so disruptive to me that I ended up bringing that up with my counselor later. And he said, there's a point where some people will just reach a breaking point where they just need an ear. Yeah, they, it doesn't even matter. And at that point, he was like, um, when you're that drunk, all filters are off. Yeah, he won't remember it. But there's there's an emotional construct inside of him that just collapsed and needed that reprieve. And he was yep. like, you just happen to be there. And he said, the- thankfully. You know, I didn't take it badly. I didn't like, what was I going to do? You know? <laughs> right. Right. So, oh man. Yeah. Like his, his, like, uh, you know, the, the pressure valve was released, you know, like it was just yeah. everything's coming yeah. out, you know, he's like deflating, you know, like yeah. men- metaphysically or like mentally, like he's just like venting oh, yeah. all the stuff out that's yeah. been built up for so long. And man, yeah, yeah that that's. Wow, that's a cool story, man. That's like, I, I, I just, I, and, and it makes you think, you know? Oh, it and does. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're just like, wow. I, I love <laughs> conversations. Like, I, I really do. But that one was like drinking from a fire hydrant. Oh, yeah. There, just, there was no way to really encapsulate it. And, and, and I remember, like, it was just awkward because I'm still checking IDs. People are coming in. They're like, oh, clear. These, these guys are having a moment. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I, I know. Like, and it was, it was just weird, but even when he left, he was like, bro, bro, bro. And I'm like, yep, bro. All right, cool, man. Right. And, <laughs> and I get it, you know, and Go I, and get I te- therapy, please. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a coupon. Really? <laughs> I just, at, you know, at, you know, and that's the thing, like, um, I, I, and ever since then that, that, and some other moments I've dealt with because, um, I, a good buddy of mine, JP, um, he, he was stationed in Afghanistan. And he was another guy that also had a creative background, but because he'd been in the military after the stuff he'd gone through over there, when he came back, he didn't really have a, he used to ask me questions about that all the time. And I said, I just have to put what is some of the darker stuff that I have to deal with into my art. However, it comes out some of my poetry, I don't ever publish because it is really dark. Hmm. You know, it's, it's the angrier side of me. It's the frustrated side, whether we're talking about sociopolitical aspects or we're talking about frustration about my backyard not being mowed because of rain for five days. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. All yeah. of those little tidbits pile up. And 
and this is something too that um I've become much more aware and I, maybe you've dealt with this um people will sometimes think that if you're going to therapy or you've had your outburst like let's say like and this has happened I can be dead honest about this when I was working at Hallmark and I had that very corporate job going and sitting, you hear the same water cooler talk. You hear the same stories. Yeah. And one day you may just snap, mm. you know, you just, you're just angry. You're just pissed off. doesn't matter. And you lose it. And everyone acts like, wow, where did that come from? Or, well, do you feel better? Okay. Well, let's go ahead and move on. Mm. And it's the most debilitating and just deflating moment that I can recall in dealing with that because, and I don't actually blame them for it. Nobody likes to see something like that happen, Yeah, but there's never a support system within things like that. You know, the best you can do is go talk to HR. Yeah. You know, I'd much rather wrestle a grizzly bear, you know, than yeah, I'm going to go talk to a corporate head about, you know? Yeah something I'm dealing with. I guess, I mean, I can, I can relate to that. And, and, in that I've had a lot of situations where I've like snapped, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it was like in the corporate environment, the closest I can come to was that I, while working in a corporate environment, like I, um, I had found out that my, my ex-wife was pregnant Mm. and like, for some reason, like I was so caught off guard by this, Mm-hmm. that I told, I just made, I, people knew me for making like weird offhanded comments, like just random things. Like I picked out of space and had nothing to do with the conversation. It was kind of like, goes along with the wormhole thing. Like, right. you know, Scotty beamed him the fuck up because I'd be in the middle of something and I would just stop talking and they would look at me like, what's next? You know, like, right. You know, he, he's not here anymore. People, you mm-hmm. know, let's just leave him be and he'll come back to us eventually. You know, like, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but like, you know, the same thing, like I would just be, you know, these guys, you know, like I was telling a story and I was saying this and that, and like, this is what happened. And like, you know, like whatever. And, you know, I just be gone, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, it was so random because these guys were like, they would ask me one thing about like something we were actually working on, like a project, mm-hmm. like, you know, this part of the aircraft, we need you to look at it because the wiring schematics say that this part needs to go to this part and it can't touch anything that's metal around it through this junction. What do you see? Yeah. I bought a couple game cubes on eBay the other day, you know, <laughs> that's what they would get, you know? So like, <laughs> and they're yeah. like uh okay okay wormhole let's just move on like so what do you right. think about the junction here you know and i'm like oh man it looks awesome to me man it's some great <laughs> wiring jobs you guys are such professionals you know like i enjoy working with you guys so much because you're so professional and you do this stuff and make it look like artwork you know it's like a mm-hmm. masterpiece when you guys get done with it <laughs> <laughs> And they're like, and then later on, they'll be like, so you got a couple game cubes? And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> you want one? <laughs> so, so it was, it was, it was funny, but like, you know, those offhanded comments, like I, about going back to like how I found out that my, my ex-wife was pregnant. Uh, mm-hmm. This was our second child. And I just got the news out of the blue. It might've been like a text message or something. And mm-hmm. I was just like, 
I, I went in and, and I didn't mean it in any kind of context or like seriousness, but like this one guy I worked with, he's like, Hey man, what's wrong with you? Because I was very deep in concentration and I'm like, what, how am I going to afford to have another kid? Like yeah. all these things were going through my head. And I looked at him and I said, man, I think I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> wrong oh my- thing to say. Yeah. He reported me. Yeah. I thought me and him were friends and he knew that all this weird stuff I said was not to be taken seriously, right. but don't ever say stuff like that, like oh, yeah. in a corporate environment. Yeah. And later on that night, I had to talk to our foreman and the foreman had me call this helpline, yeah. you know, and I had to tell him like, no, that's, you know, like, yes, I have problems with depression sometimes, but like, it's nothing like that. I was talking to the guy and I had a lot I was talking to my friend at work and I was like, I said this comment, but it was very like out of context. Like it, it didn't have any substance behind it. I don't think about suicide or any mm-hmm. of this stuff. Part of me, I think back may have been lying, but mm-hmm. like, I didn't mm-hmm. want the corporate world to know that because of the stigma of mental health. Like, yeah, you're right. You know, and like I said, I was already an alcoholic and had been for years. So like I hid all that stuff and put the mask on when I went to work and like nobody knew, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's kind of like Robin Williams, like is a comedian oh, yeah. is super funny, you know, but nobody knew he had these issues behind that. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, as far as we knew, like none of the, right. the general public knew, you know, he may have been talking to people or his close friends or family, but like nobody else knew none of his fans knew like, yeah. And and that's the thing about, you know, I always wonder, you know, I have some friends that are comedians and, you know, if they start talking about mental health and I'm like, yes, talk about mm-hmm. mental health. Let's break the stigma. Like, mm-hmm. let's get this out there that know that it, it's okay to not mm-hmm. be okay. You know, because like I said, when I was drinking all that, like I was covering it up. And when I stopped drinking, all mm-hmm. hell broke loose. Like yeah. I had a psychotic break and all kinds of stuff. You know, I was, I spent time in the hospital and they were trying to figure out what was going on. And I was like, I don't know. Let's, I just got to work on a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, um, okay. Like I'm going to, we're going to take a break real quick. Uh, this is like, it's gone a little past the mid section of the show. I'm trying not to keep the shows too long, Mm -hmm. but uh, I like to put a break in the middle here and, uh, excellent. we'll, We'll come back and we'll continue the discussion and we'll do the, uh, um, I want to kind of get into like some of the stuff that you do, you know, yeah, like sure, some man. of your work. So yeah. uh, everyone stay tuned. We will be right back. Hey, this is Matt from the Wormhole Manifest podcast. For those that do not know, my daytime job is running the small veteran owned computer repair business called B Squared Computer Repair LLC. Using my over 20 year experience, I'm able to diagnose and repair even the most stubborn issues. If you're having a Windows-based computer-related problem, feel free to reach out and let me help you with that. If you are local to us, feel free to give us a call and set up an appointment at 660-687-0100. If you're not local, check out our website, www.bsquaredcomps.com. That's B-S-Q-U-A-R-E-D-C-O-M-P-S. We also have a Facebook business page and are standing by Monday through Friday to help you get up and running again. Special note, we do not mess with Apple or Mac products. Hey everyone, we're back from our break. Um, 
me and Mario were actually just spent like an hour talking during the break <laughs> and had a bunch of stories and stuff we were sharing with each other. And it was a great conversation and uh, we could have just kept recording. And <laughs> I bet a lot of you would have got a kick out of some of the, the stuff we were talking about. It was it was pretty great. Um, but continuing with the show, uh, Mario, like there's uh, uh, let's see, like I wanted to get it kind of into some of the stuff that you do like you know like some of your side projects and like i think your art's amazing man i still need to get a couple of your prints and stuff because i want to get them and and, like hang them up and stuff and you know because i I, like man some of the like the robot stuff like that Mm -hmm. you do like the big like mecha kind of things that like i don't know it just that that shit kicks ass like i I look at it and i'm like man like i just want to hang that up because it just it it almost like when, when I look at your art, like I don't have to know the story behind it because my mind like generates like a, a whole, you know, universe of, you know, behind it, you know, like there's like mm-hmm. all these comic books have like, there's like the Marvel comic universe and DC comics. Like you kind of know that there's a bunch of characters and like, or there's like hundreds of characters with all backstories and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but like I look at your stuff and I'm like, there is a whole new universe that like revolves around this character or these different characters, the scene of things that's going on, you know? So like, if you just want to talk about like, yeah. like some of your inspirations and things like, and, and tell, tell people, I want, I want to get this out there, like where they can get some of this stuff or see, see your work, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, we can, uh, I'll go ahead and lead with that first. Um, I have an Etsy store where a lot of my stuff is listed. Um, you can find, my handle, the artisan rogue. If you search that, I that is what I use on everything from Twitter to TikTok to to my Etsy store. Um, my website is theartisanrogue.com, and that's got links to everything on there. Um, the so I was the whole story behind a lot of this is I was inspired really big by um, shadow puppetry growing up, hmm. and because when my dad, my earliest memories. Uh, that were really fundamental to my artwork are kind of twofold. When I was young, the very first time I ever touched a painting or did anything like that, um, my dad being in the military had gotten transferred to Italy, Aviano Air Base. So my first, second, and third year of elementary school was spent there. Um, It was unique because first thing that happened was when we got there, I was exposed to anime first time ever dubbed in Italian. And so Lupin the third Macross uh, Gundam. Those were the first three things I remember seeing. I didn't know what I was watching and, but I thought it was cool. So that kind of kickstarted. Cause I was like, okay, whatever this is. So that it's kind of weird because um, those things were, you know, Lupin the third is very much bigger than life stories. It's, action oriented it's all these other things but especially gundam Absolutely. and macross were were these essentially soap operas with oh, giant yeah. robots the the space opera the space yeah. you know like like i remember when when carl masek <laughs> like learned about macross like yeah. that's when he took the three different series yep. and brought it to america and cut the hell out of it and spliced it and <laughs> made yep his whole new series called Robotech, uh-huh. you know, and re-released it. And, and the, the first 
like I think the first season. I have all the box sets, by the way, because like Robotech nice. was like I grew up on that. That was like my, oh, yeah. you know. It, and you're right. It was like it was like a soap opera for like nerds like us that were mm-hmm. like you know we wanted to know about characters and their backstories and their lives and their you know uh, everything about those characters. So yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. That was like some of my first introduction to, to anime too, you know, and, and it wasn't, I didn't know that it was Japanese until my dad who actually was in the Navy, uh, during the Korean war. Um, mm-hmm. and he was sailing on an aircraft carrier and got to stop in Japan like a few times. Oh yeah. And, and so he knew some Japanese from being there. I he told me a lot of stories, but like, I want to be a fly on the wall with like him doing his explorations in, in like oh, mainland yeah. Japan and stuff because he learned so much while he was there. And I'm like, knowing him, like growing up, like I can just imagine him as a young guy back in like the fifties, like going to another country. Like yeah. he, he must've been off the wall. Like he was yeah. probably like doing all kinds of crazy stuff and drinking and partying with like, you know, geishas and stuff, you know, like no wonder he learned Japanese because he was yeah. like partying with them and stuff, you know, like, Oh, totally. But like, uh, he he came up to me one time when I was sitting there watching. I think it was I think I was watching Voltron, mm-hmm. and he looked at the credits as they were rolling by at the end of the show, and he goes, "Oh, like you know, like Matsumata or you know Matsuhara or you know, like he he looked at it, the names that were scrolling by for the the artwork, you know, like the mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, those are all Japanese names, you know, like mm-hmm. this must be a, a Japanese cartoon, and I was mm-hmm. like, Japanese cartoons, like." You know, I didn't know, like, is it, does that exist? Like, does is Japan a real place? Like, I was just a kid. I know. And I'm like, you know, but it opened the doors that there's, like, so much more out there. But, like, ever mm-hmm. since then, everything that I looked at, I, like, knew immediately if it was a Japanese animated, you know, cartoon yeah. or series or whatever. And it intrigued me. That's what, like, you know, my first email address when – uh when, like when the internet started, you know, like I uh, was anime head at hotmail.com, yeah. you know? And yeah. then like, as soon as Google started up, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to coin my name, you know, before it gets taken, you know? So I'm like anime head at gmail.com. That's my original <laughs> email address. And that was like, I don't know when, when that came out, I was like 25 years ago or something like that. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. like, but, but yeah, like, yeah. That's cool that you say that because I can def- totally relate. You know, like when you, that's cool you were in Italy when you were mm-hmm. witnesses. Cause I, I've been to Italy when I was in the Marine Corps and uh, I traveled around and uh, I was in, it was in uh, Napoli or Naples, as you yeah. <laughs> know. And uh, when I was there for a few weeks, like I would ride the, the train. I, I rode the train up to uh, Roma or Rome mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, while I was on the train, I noticed a guy sitting across with from me. I was wearing a Bubblegum Crisis t-shirt. Oh, wow. You know, the, okay. the anime yeah. Bubblegum Crisis. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I saw this other guy sitting across from me who had a Tenchi Muyo t-shirt on. <laughs> and, and we made eye contact. And then we looked at each other's shirts and we just kind of nodded. Yeah. And that was it. Cause I mean, I'm pretty sure he didn't speak English, you know, and he oh, was just, yeah. <laughs> but we like nodded and we were like, yeah, you know, anime, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> we're connected. 
<laughs> well, and it's crazy too that older anime stuff. Like, and and I throw that in there because I also like Tetsugan Twenty Eight Go. Um, certainly Speed Racer in its original incarnation. Um, there was a ton of different shows like that. That there was one that I was addicted to called Sanpei, and hmm. so there was Sanpei and Force of Sugar. Um, Force of Sugar is a beautiful story about a young boy who grows up in a family of boxers whose father dies at a, at a carnival. He succumbs to the injuries from his last fight and he dies on a bench. And it's basically that young boy's story growing up to avenge his father's death. Um, all of these things were based on mythic proportions. The, this, the, the hero's journey, the tragic fall, and then, rising to fight on yeah the characters that i draw these big monolithic robots and these shadowy things the reason that i chose the 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 puppetry thing was well and this is the other part of it so anime was part of it but we had gone um the base aviano base used to have these trips where a bunch of military families would get on school buses big blue school buses for the air force and we'd go places well one of the places we went was venice and when we went oh, there, wow. two things happened. First thing was we had gone to a little theater, and I will never forget this. It was closest to the water, so it was already water creeping into the building. Oh, wow. So they had little planks out there for us to, like, walk across the main floor to keep our feet dry. And we watched these amazing shadow puppets. And um, it was just crazy. And I fell in love with that. And so I was like, I, I became obsessed with it. Well, then after that, we were walking around. And I remember they were trying to figure my teacher at the time was with us on that because her husband was in the air force and she was ta- I, rem- I will distinctly remember she was talking to one of the gondola uh guys to see how much it would cost for us to use a boat and everything else like that we never did get in the boat but i noticed a guy painting over to the side it was mm-hmm. the very first time i'd ever heard the term plein air because i said what are you doing and he, and he talked to me in italian and i could understand it back then and I don't remember the word plein air, but I remember him saying that, you know, he, it was a, it was a painting of the moment. And hmm. I said, that's beautiful. And, and he said, you know, are you an artist? And I was like, I'd like to be. And my mom who was standing behind me said, yeah, he is, or he wants to be. And he says, well, here's a chance. And there's this gorgeous watercolor he's working on. He hands me the brush. And I was wow. like, I'm going to fuck this up so bad. <laughs> <laughs> you're but like I, put on the spot there you know <laughs> i know right but i nervously he he held his palette over and i re- i just that moment of, of all the mixed colors the saturated green that i chose and i just there was no green in that painting you know <laughs> but um and and i chose it and uh and and i and i gingerly just nervously started to paint and he pressed my hand up against it and made made the stroke broader and harsher and let it run down and he was like ah que bello and i was and i was like what and he was like it's good it's good and that moment just solidified it for me so it was kind of like those three years were so formulative in me becoming what i am now and especially these things it took me a long time to even want to tell this story because i've told i've written other comic books i've done other things but this is the one that was probably the closest to me because growing up there for those three years fundamentally changed how I looked at things like myth and, and being in Europe kind of like rearranges your brain. Yeah. You know, because the first time I saw the Coliseum, I'm like, that can't be real. 
Yeah. You know, um, you see things like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You see other things like that. Um, you see these old forests. And when I mean old, I'm talking like older than the United States easily. Yeah. These old growth forests. And it's not hard to imagine why these these old stories that eventually became fairy tales came to be. And all of that stuff is the same sort of thing I try and evoke in what I do now. Hmm. The reason they're shadowy is because I want people to interpolate how they feel, what they find in them, and for the narrative to be driven that way. Right now, and it's weird because all of the artwork that I have currently all sprung from a video game idea I had three years ago that I wanted to try and do. Hmm. And that was all concept art. I was doing the Ralph McQuarrie thing. I was like, well, I'm going to make the concept art first, and then hopefully somebody will like the story. And um, and that's where that came from. Wow. Yeah. Um, and and so and that's still a story that I'm writing. I've got the first few pages done. I'm hoping to get the next one. Well, no, I have to get the next one completed by next year. But um, and that's that's where that started from, is that. So, um, and then I'll, some of it, too, falls into the the same thing that um, Guillermo del Toro always talks about where um, when he was young, when he was a young boy in Mexico and he's like 10 years older than me, he always talked about um, going to what they call two brick cinemas. Mm. Um, And the the bricks were for throwing at the rats that would undoubtedly try and attack you if you had any popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) And, but he said, you know, that's where he would, he first saw Kaiju films like they, because Mexican cinema brings a lot of Japanese films over. Oh, wow. I didn't and know so, that. Yeah. So he, and that's also, he was familiar with like, like Tatsugan Go and Astro Boy and all these other things because they would show those before the Godzilla films. Oh, man. And so <laughs> all cool. of that stuff is what ended up in his movies when he did the Hellboy films and especially Pacific Rim. Oh. Those were his love letters. Okay. Yeah. That makes that a stuff. lot of sense now. Like, yeah. I mean, I've watched like Pacific Rim with my kids because my son Logan is like a diehard Godzilla fan. Like, oh, he, yeah, he knows the difference between like the Toho films and the. Oh, the, yeah. Uh, I forget which the other production company is, but like he mm-hmm. knows the eras of the different types of the. Yeah, the Showa era the sh- and all those. Yeah. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Like he knows all that about them. And, and actually oh, today geez. we just finished the uh, we watched the last episode of the uh, the the Godzilla anime the oh, singular point and yeah. we've been watching that for the last like whenever he's over on the weekends like we watch a couple episodes and so today we watched the final episode and it was just like oh man like you know that was cool like the story on it is just so gripping you're like and, and there's so many references that to the old films you know like throughout the the different eras of the films and we're like yeah. and he's he just notices them and recognizes all these different things you know but oh yeah and, and the only reason he's into Godzilla is because I had a bunch of VHS tapes of all these different Godzilla films, like from before he was born. Mm-hmm. And like when he was a little kid, like one or two years old, like we would just throw in a Godzilla tape and watch it, you know, in between mm-hmm. like watching, you know, uh, PBS kid shows, you know, like once <laughs> the kid shows are off, like, oh, let's just throw in Godzilla, you know, and he's been yep. hooked ever since. And when I was a kid, like my mom used to like, say, what are you doing, Matt? Like, are, are you being Godzilla right now? Like, because I'd be, <laughs> I'd be stomping around the house, like, you know, making oh my, the, my noise, you know, yeah. like, because the, the, the 1130 movie on channel 11 in St. Louis after cartoons on Saturday morning, like 
that was a ritual to me was getting up at like six in the morning. Oh yeah. And watching cartoons until like 1130. And then the Godzilla movie would start. Yeah. And then I I'd watch the Godzilla movie. And then that was just, that was my Saturday, you know, like every Saturday for like See, the longest time. And I was so into it. And I was like, you know, oh, I, was man, like, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be Godzilla. <laughs> I, I know. like, well, And it's also crazy too, for me, there's a parallel to a degree. Yeah. I always got up and watched cartoons as well too, because like, and, and uh, that, that's a whole nother subject. I could go on for days and days, <laughs> but I always loved um that, that, that Saturday was the day I would stay up all goddamn day. Because like at night I couldn't go to bed, I couldn't sleep. My parents yeah. would try and go to bed like around ten o'clock, you know. Because yeah. you know, they, my parents were the kind of Catholics that wanted to get to church early. Like we got there like six a.m. for the good seats, and like <laughs> you know, seats. just like super freaking early. And like when's mass? Noon. And like I'm like <laughs> ah, but like we, I would, I would get up at like one in the morning, and I, and this is so weird because back then you had VHS and or VHF and UHF. You know, that that's it. We yeah, didn't have yeah. cable. That's all we had. Yeah. But we had one. This was before. This was how young I was. This is before I was in first grade. When we lived in in um, in not Kennedy, Texas, Shirts, Texas. And um, for, I remember this distinctly um, We had these big green couches and I would go and I would get a juice box and I would go sit down a Capri Sun or something and I would go sit. <laughs> And I would turn on the television and I knew where the public access channel was. Oh, wow. We had one that was, that was beaming in from San, of San Antonio or something. Two things. First of all, that was my first exposure to Elvira. <laughs> I had a crash course in puberty at like fucking six. You know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> it affected how I, how, it affected yeah. everything in my life. But, um, <laughs> So, like, she would introduce, like, old Hammer Horror films and Godzilla films. Oh, man. That's, and I remember mom and dad would get up and watch that with me, you know? And they would, yeah, and and that, like, I wish that was something that I had early recordings of. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, like, I just, you know, I I remember distinctly that was during her low-budget time. So, you know, she just did the host segments and they would sell them sell those segments to different channels and yeah. they would just play her segments like where they syndication, wanted. like going yeah. out to early. You know, yeah. Early yeah. syndication. Yeah. Like so, before the cable TV, like, and they did all the, oh, I remember man, yeah. like later on, like the late eighties was mm-hmm. like, you know, Gilbert Gottfried was like on like USA up all night, you know, <laughs> oh like God. it would just play these random B movies, you know, like, <laughs> I saw so many Roger Corman films through that shit, man. Just like terrible. Yeah. It's like Velociraptors and Warehouses. That's all he ever did. <laughs> that jackass, man. Like he killed cinema. I say that, but I, I will guilty pleasure watch a Roger Corman flick anytime. Didn't like uh didn't MST3K do some of those? Like I don't know which ones that they- he did, but I well and and there's and see that's a whole other love of mine too. MST, MST3K. I didn't discover them until they released the movie. Oh really? Yeah, and that's wow. only because I found like it was weird because um the movie is the the movie version does uh, this, this island, island Earth. Earth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I found that in a bargain bin for like two dollars. Oh, wow. I'm like, 
so I was pretty late to the game. Yeah. I didn't know anything about riff tracks or anything. I knew none of that stuff. And even that stuff, like that introduced me to a whole bunch of other sci-fi I didn't know about, you oh, know, wow, like all of their series. And like, yeah. I fell in love with all that stuff, like plan nine from outer space, all that crazy stuff, man. Just yeah. The Ed Wood films. Brilliant. I remember seeing the Ed Wood stuff like a oh, long time ago. My dad actually was like, here, we got to watch this. It's supposed to be like the most horrible sci-fi movie ever, you know? And it's like plan nine from outer space, you know, like, yeah. And I, I saw that when I was really young, but. I saw MST3K. It was on cable. I think it when it started, it was on. It, well, when it very first started, it was like a public access. Like, yes. Yeah. And and then yep. they they got a syndication with Comedy Central. I yep. think. Yep. That's and then right. later, like I think I saw it when it was on Comedy Central, and I was at my my oh, one of my older brothers was um, with this one girl. Like I mean, she became my sister in law, and they mm-hmm. had a kid. But we used to go to like one of her brother's houses, I think. Mm-hmm. And he was always watching Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. So they were like smoking and drinking in the in the dining room. And I was just there as a kid hanging out in the <laughs> living room. And they had like, I remember watching Gamera. On oh, it, man, but it was yeah. Mystery Science Theater. And yeah. they were making fun of it the whole time. And I'm like, what is this? You know, like. Yeah. I've seen the Godzilla movies, you know, grew yep. up with those, but like, this is a Gamera film and there's these three little silhouettes in the bottom and they're talking about the film. And I'm like, this is like gold, you know, like yep. <laughs> I was like, and, yep. and, and I knew about that and I, I would see it every once in a while. I didn't have cable a lot when I, when I was growing up because yeah. we couldn't afford it, but, um, mm-hmm. I would, whenever I'd go to somebody's house, I'm like, have you heard of this thing? Mystery science theater? Like, and Mm -hmm. you know, like I would look through their like TV guide to try to figure out when it was going to come on next. So I'm like, I want to see what their next thing is because this is hilarious, you know? I know. And, uh, when, when, so I had known about it. And then, uh, when the movie came out, like I was, when I heard about it, I was totally psyched. I actually went to, there's a, there's kind of like an independent theater. It's like a really old theater house in St. Louis mm-hmm. in a place called the Central West End. And it's mm-hmm. called the Tivoli. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and when Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie came out, they actually had it playing there. That's beautiful. God. And I was working at the St. Louis Bread Company at the Galleria Mall at the time. So I'm like, I talked to some friends and I'm like, let's go see MST3K the movie. <laughs> And they're like, oh, yeah, we're in, you know, so we met up and we went and saw the movie and I was like cracking up the whole time. And it was just amazing. And like I uh, I started collecting like the VHS tapes and stuff after that. And I'm like, now I've got the whole collection on Plex, you know, (laughs) and my son knows about it, too, because of the few Godzilla movies he was really into. I'm like, let's watch this version of it. You know, like we watched like uh, a. Godzilla versus Megalon. It's like yeah. one of the worst Godzilla movies ever. It is, but, but it is my... so hilarious. Like it when... is. <laughs> it is. It's my perennial favorite. That's the one that I still have on VHS. <laughs> Just because I love the. I do the too. Box I think art, somewhere the box art is ridiculous. They're standing on buildings fighting it out to the death. I think it's like the World Trade Center or yeah. something. It's and something I'm... like I'm like this has nothing to do with the film. <laughs> I know. This is insane. It's awesome, man. Yeah. It's it's like all those Turkish Star Wars posters. Like <laughs> what is this? <laughs> you know, like cuz I like yeah, stuff like that, all that stuff is 
is grand. And and even then, like those old movie posters, they're so yeah. bombastic. They're so over the top. That that's even a lot of what inspires what I do still. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I just it's kind of crazy. Yeah, because, I kind of got that. I kind of got the feeling. Like sometimes yeah. when I look at your art, I'm like, man, like I just I think of the old movie the retro movie posters from the the 50s 60s and 70s Mm -hmm. like you know i'm like man it's like i wonder you know so that's good yeah confirmed what i was thinking like you know i get so many people that like especially at shows they'll be like you know what what influenced you i'm like man where do i start like because like so much of it you know like is a lot of what i just talked about but it can even be something like you know like there's there's a lot of people will think like the first time, the first thing that most people immediately go to is, um, is Samurai Jack. Hmm. I get that a lot. Um, then I'm like, yeah, there's, that's definitely an influence, especially his new show primal. Um, you know, it's this starker, more agitated sort of design aesthetic. Hmm. Um, and it's mythic in its own qualities as well, too, especially Primal. That's like one of the most intense shows I've ever watched in my life. Um, I'm going to have to check that out now because I, I haven't ooh, seen that yet. It's it's Samurai Jack, but hyper, hyper violent and hyper emotional. Oh, wow. Um, it revolves around a dinosaur and a caveman. And I will tell you no more just because the road to discovery <laughs> in that show is fucking beautiful, dude. Wow. Um, yeah. But. Um, there are a couple of the episodes, I think online, you can watch it on the adult swim website. Um, I don't know if they got the whole season on there or not, Hmm. but so the point is with all that stuff, is it like, you know, whenever I get asked that sort of stuff, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's different things because just as much as like any of these things having to do with monsters or robots played into it too, you know, there was also a period when, when I had kind of like, this is weird to say, I hadn't lost interest in it but I had to go back and rediscover it, which is full circle back to what we were kind of talking about earlier, where you have these moments in life where you're really into stuff when you're younger. Right. Yeah. And then there's going to be this little time when you just kind of, eh, it just goes away. Right. And back here on the shelf, can't see it in the camera too well, but back there on the shelf, there's a very beat up die cast robot. And um, we got that when I was in second grade and it's Spider-Man's mech. From oh, the wow. Japan from the Japanese Spider Man show, because he had a giant robot on there, <laughs> and um, and it's it's crazy that the whole Japanese Spider Man thing is crazy, but that those sort of things, the memories of that make me want to bring that stuff back to life, mm-hmm. and and interpolate it into what I create now, and I think you know, I think sometimes like you'll see a lot of people, and this isn't trashing on anyone else, but. I think a lot of times creators will feel a need to want to make something that is trend worthy or the current thing. Mm, yeah. When I'm like, yeah, but what if you take what you really love and you just try and make that work? Yeah. Because you'll be that much more invested in it, you know? Um, That's true. That's, you know, you're putting... I mean, that's, that's almost true with like any, any walk of life or thing. Like if you, you know, if you, if you're in love with something, whether it's like, you know, uh, a certain type of like literature or like scientific study, you know, like you're like, I imagine scientists working on something. They're like, I loved this area of study. So I want to 
bring some of those aspects into my theories or, you know, my research, like, you know, my style of presenting things, you know, like if they're presenting it to the like academic community, like, you know, they may have listened to lectures from a particular, um, uh, you know, like a particular scientist or, or, you know, whatever, like from the long time ago, like fifties. And they like say they like the way that they presented this information. So they'll kind of like, let's just, I like, I'm in love the way I'm in love with the way that he presented it. So like, let's just do this this way. I'm Mm -hmm. going to project this information that I've discovered on my own in the past, like couple years. And like, present it like that in hopes that other people will be like, I really like the way this is presented, you know? And, yeah. and it's, and yeah, it's like adopting, adopting ideas that were formally presented, but like, you know, from, from like a new angle. I mean, it's yep. like, you're, you're yep. just, you're not like redoing it or rebooting things. Like you're, you're just, presenting it the way that you best and that's the same thing like it's like you um if you're trying to teach someone how to do something Mm -hmm. or show them how to do something like show them in the way that you would have wanted to be shown yeah what would help you learn the best and then in hopes that like there's other people that learn from your same style of learning you know because everybody's like auditory or visual, you know, different styles Mm -hmm. of learning. And if you present it in the way that you learned the most from that information, you know, like it it may resonate a lot better with, with people that learn that same style. Like, yep. But like, yeah, like the way, I mean, I can see some of the samurai Jack thing now. I didn't think of it before, but, Uh um, well, there's, there's one image, like I remember, like the one big robot, and it's like it's mostly like silhouette style, like with the dark, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and it has like the things protruding from the head, like the oh style. yeah. And I'm like, I, I it seemed like I recognized it from something, but I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know what it is. But like, yeah, <laughs> what, what's the main evil character in Samurai Jack? Like the oh Aku, Aku, yeah, like yeah. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> there's there's a lot. Well, even in those characters, like, so something that um, I'm a big fan of Doug Chiang. He was the uh, lead concept and <clears throat> art directing artist on Star Wars episodes one, two, and three. Hmm. And when he designs things, he's like, if you cannot recognize the silhouette first and foremost and recognize what that character is, what that vehicle is, or where this location is, it's not a good design. And I was fascinated by that because I thought, okay, surely he's simply applying this to science fiction. He's not. He's like, look at a, um, look at a GT Shelby, look at a model T Ford, look at a, an F 35 jet, look at a B 36 Stratofortress, you know? Yeah. Even if you don't, I mean, there's a reason why those books of studying airplane silhouettes, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And well, he simply took that and he reapplied it back toward what he did. So all of the all of the vehicles, and especially in episode one, are based on animals. Hmm. The droid tanks are lions with their paws and their face. Oh wow. 
And it's crazy when, if you ever get a chance to, I think it's on, on the episode one disc, there's a behind the scenes disc that talks about how everything he designed was based on nature, on shortcuts, on, on how we perceive something. And he took it and he simply roboticized it, turned it into a graphic element. The droids are very insect-like, um, things like that. And so he was like, the more that you can bring about something that people feel a sense of familiarity with, the stronger of an impact that design will have. And he was like, for better or for worse, the more marketable it also becomes as well, too. Hmm. Um, Because one of the things that he often would say is that there's a lot of good art out there, but sometimes some of it gets overly complex. You lose it in the fact of like, but I want all these details. But are the details necessary? This isn't real life. This is your rendition of it. Yeah. That's not playing down on hyper realism. It's simply saying there's a lot of ways to communicate imagery and Hmm. his and his work also made me strive to look more like, and this is something that, especially when I was working at the museum, although they didn't have a lot of paleolithic art, I would look at a lot of the Greek art and other things like that, uh, the Egyptian collection. And you start to absorb a lot of that flat aspect, you know, Hmm. um, both Greek pottery and, um, you know, Egyptian hieroglyphics in general are flat based. Yeah. You know, like a two dimensional uh, kind of. Correct. The, the concept, the, 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 the neoclassical concept of contrapposto with a shifted weight had not occurred yet. So that was not prevalent in their art until it became Greco Roman art. And then even when the Romans had more influence, um, in upper Egypt, you would start to see that sort of thing. Cause even their stu- even their statues that were three-dimensional were very flat and, you know, um, repost. Yeah. So all that stuff played into it as well too. And, and I, I mean, I, I minored in Egyptology in college. So, you know, I, and that only came about because I like the art so much, hmm. you know? So all that stuff comes into it too. That's why there's all that crazy <clears throat> symbology in a lot of my illustrations. And that's why it's really hard. And like, I can, I can drone on for hours because I'm like, no, but there was this too. Hey, sorry for the interruption, folks. Um, This episode ended up going uh, really long. So I'm actually splitting it up into uh, two separate episodes. Um, You can check out the continuation of this discussion on the next episode. Um, Actually, I, I may do another recording for a different episode and then I will follow up with this conversation with Mario the artisan rogue um, probably at another date um, it, it may be the episode after that or, or the following one after that even um, I'm trying to keep the episodes down to around an hour to an hour and a half um, because I want to keep our our listeners engaged with the podcast um, and I don't want to just uh have you sitting there listening for three to four to five hours and and wondering when it's going to (laughs) end. So um, stay tuned, check out the, uh, the, the continuation of the conversation with myself, uh, wormhole Matt and my good friend, uh, Mario Mora, the artisan rogue. Um, Be sure to check out his social media um, he's on Twitter and Instagram and all that as Artisan Rogue or The Artisan Rogue. Um, he also has a, a TikTok and a um, an e- 
Etsy store. Is it Etsy or Etsy? I don't know. Um, so check that out and you can see all of his really great artwork and his graphics that uh, he has up for sale. Um, definitely support our our uh, local artists. Um, he's done some great work out there. Uh, I appreciate him being on this podcast. So a good, you know, big shout out to him. Um, so everyone check out the next episode that we continue uh, where we left off with this one. Um, and you'll hear the, the continuation of our discussion. Um, and in the meantime, if you want to check out the podcast social media, um, please do so, and please rate our um, our podcast on iTunes and uh, Anchor and Spotify, wherever you can leave a review. We, I, I'd love to hear it. I, I need the feedback so I can help, you know, it'll help me provide better content for everyone. So uh, we have a website. It's linktree or linktr.ee slash wormhole underscore manifest. Um, Twitter is WormFestPod, so check out at WormFestPod. Um, Instagram is Wormhole underscore Manifest, and you can send us an email even at WormholeManifest at gmail.com. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening, as always, um, and we will see you on the continuation of this one or on another completely different episode that should be coming up soon. And then, yeah. Then you'll see us and, uh, well, you will listen to us. We are going to be doing videos eventually because uh, when I'm recording this, I'm doing webcam stuff. So stay tuned for that, too. That's going to be a big project. I'm going to do a big compilation highlights video from, you know, all the special guests that I've had on the show. Uh, and that would be cool. You can see us uh, just bullshitting around and talking to each other and having fun. So, yeah. Thanks, guys. Uh, stay tuned. And we will see you in the next episode. Peace. Peace.